Hello and welcome to another edition of Ask the Experts here on City News 570. I'm joined today by Faisal Suzy Walla. Faisal is ranked within the top three real estate brokers in the world for REMAX and was recently named Canada's top agent for 2022. Faisal began his career at the young age of 18 and has been providing outstanding results for over 30 years now, most notably with REMAX Twin City Realty. Faisal's here today to talk everything from landlords and tenants to real estate terms that you need to know. Welcome back to the show, Faisal. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, listeners, if you're interested in any of the information we discuss over the next hour, please reach out to Faisal. You can start your journey at homeshack.com. You can call him directly as well, 519-624-5555, or by email, Faisal at homeshack.com. Faisal, we're almost at the midway point of the year. It's unbelievable how time uh, is flying. And and in your mind, um, where are we at if we if we take a look at a market update right now? Well, it's summer season, so we're on a roller coaster again. And I'll tell you, it was quite the run for the first quarter and we're leading right into uh, you know, the end of May. We've had uh, just a significant amount of appreciation in values. Um, so if we go back to March of 2020, when uh, COVID first started to March of 2022, we saw upwards of 65% gain in values throughout our region. Then came March 2022 when the Fed started uh, increasing the interest rates to control inflation. And we saw a decline, a steady decline in market uh, right through to about December. And at the top end, it was about a 30% decline that we, that we experienced. Now, fast forward to January of 2023, to May of 2023, we saw a 15% rise in real estate values. Right. So there's been this real roller coaster. And of course, last week, as we are all aware, um, the Bank of Canada raised its interest rate by a quarter percent, which has now caused a little bit of pause in some people's minds. And, and you know, today we'll, we'll talk a little bit about is that is that the right thing to do or is it best to continue with your journey of purchasing a home we know as you just said the bank of canada raised those rates uh, in in your mind we know that it's it it, we, it has had a, that impact on the market um what do you expect is going to be happening then over over the summer because of that is it going to be pausing again and waiting to see or do you think there's going to be another increase what's the, what's your crystal ball telling you so we have to look at it from a very broad sort of scope here and, and look at what happened six months ago or eight months ago. Um, most people paused. Uh, yes, real estate values came down, but people still continued to sit on the sidelines and not react because of, you know, we've talked about this in the past, that's herd mentality. Mm -hmm. If you're not buying, I won't buy. If you're buying, I'll buy. So everybody just kind of stopped. But those were opportunities that I believe were missed at that time. Uh, we should have been looking at opportunities in the market uh, and buying in those dates because there was a thoughtful process, conditions were being able to be put into to, to um, offer agreements. And now we, are, we found that people are just making cash offers, no conditions, sort of just going in, multiple offers are back into the marketplace. Um, but that will start slowing down throughout the summer because again, we're retracting to that um, habit of let's just do nothing and see what happens next. 
But what's what's going to happen next is coming into the fall, most likely we're going to see another interest rate increase. And if we go up another quarter point in September, um, yes, the prices may come down, but that right. pent-up demand will continue to increase. Builders will not build. Developers will not buy land. Um, and, and everything will pause. So we've already you know, understood the fact that this region needs 80,000 homes in the next seven years. If builders don't build, um, people don't sell because the prices are coming down, we're going to see some sort of um, pause and then a massive influx of buyers coming into the market next spring and the bidding wars are going to be back. The prices are going to be back up. So I say to buyers right now, look at this as an opportunity. Yes, you're going to pay a little bit of a higher interest rate, but you're going to buy at a lower price, which means that you're now using the same amount of dollars for getting monthly dollars, but getting more for your for your monthly dollars than you would when you're in that uh, upward trajectory where everybody's bidding to buy as opposed to offering to buy. In, in in my experience and just driving around KW right now, lots of for sale signs, uh, and it doesn't seem to take very long for that sold sign to go on the top of that. Is are you noticing that in in uh, in, in what your uh, what's happening with your business? Absolutely, the pricing strategy has to be spot on. Um, if you are listing your home today and you are going as per market, saying, "Well, the last guy got you know nine hundred fifty thousand dollars for their home, so let me ask nine ninety nine, and I will be happy if I get nine ninety nine seventy five." So those are the um, uh, pitfalls of, of of pricing at market. If you price below market, for example, if you let's take that same example of a, of a home that's $950,000 value. Let's say you list it for $799. There's a very good chance that you're going to increase the number of viewings, right. which will then increase the number of offers, which in turn will increase the selling price. So what you're doing is you're actually leveraging the number of viewings, the number of offers to get a bidding war going. And we as human beings want to win. Mm -hmm. And when you're in a competing situation, it is more likely that uh, you're going to pay more for something because you know there's six or seven other people who want it. Now, speaking fairly, most of those offers may not be at that high level, but the fact or the threat that there are six, seven, ten offers makes it far more desirable than if there was only one or two offers. You've talked about in the fact, too, that in the past, the idea that bidding wars um, seems to be a, you know, a Toronto, uh, Oakville, Mississauga sort of uh, uh, mentality for a lot of uh, a lot of real estate uh, transactions. But you've said we we can bring that here to this area as well too, and and you reach out to the the possible buyers in those areas to say, hey, take a look at KW, and and they're already used to that idea of having having bidding wars. Well, precisely. So we need to sell in our region. We need to sell the way buyers are accustomed to buying. So if you're selling the way we used to sell, where your neighbors were buying your homes or people within your community were buying your homes, that's fair, that they will offer to buy. But unfortunately, the local buyers are looking, A, in the rearview mirror saying, well, a couple of months ago, that house was only X amount of dollars. So why am I paying a $50,000 premium right now? The Toronto, Milton, Mississauga, Brampton, Oakville, Burlington buyers for years have been bidding to buy. So when they to a marketplace and they see a home priced at market value, 
they're thinking, well, if they're already asking 950, they're probably expecting a million, but they're not. And then they're not prepared to offer less because they think they're going to lose. So you as a seller are now holding on to your property for three months, two months, whatever it may be. See, the first question people will ask is how much is this property listed for? The second question they're going to ask is how long has it been on the market? Right. And if how long days on market starts exceeding 30 days, you're going to be in trouble. And right. if you then start chasing the market, you want the market to come to you. If at that point you start chasing the market and saying, well, you know what? I tried 950. Now I'm going to go to 899 because now that's below market value. You've already lost that first impression. You've uh -huh. already kind of stigmatized your property. So it's better to start low. If you don't receive the number you want, then maybe increase the price to market value afterwards. So it also shows that you're not desperate, that you're confident in the value. And it's like going to an auction where the, where the person who's selling their item has a reserve. And that reserve is unknown to the bidders until such time of the expiry date of that auction. And if it doesn't meet the reserve price, that seller can then decide to put it at market and right. stay firm on their value. So there's a few different strategies to implement. But right now, I still believe that pricing it slightly under asking, uh, uh, sorry, under the market value of the home is the best way to get and achieve a higher than expected selling price. And you've been doing this a while, so I think we can follow uh, follow your advice. That makes a lot of sense. What challenges will buyers be facing uh, beside the the higher interest rates as we as we head into uh, the next few months? You know, it's it's consumer debt. This is the biggest challenge that we're finding. Um, so there's there's two areas that I really reflect on when I look at where are people spending their money and and why don't they have disposable cash. And there's no question prices are high. Um, so it's not all about bad spending habits that's causing this. But when you look at what's surrounding us, you know, we have, we, we live in a society now where it's instant gratification. Right. You, you want it now. You want that white picket fence. You want that shiny new car. And and marketing and and, and retail has made us believe that everything is possible for the low, low price of $199 a week, right? So, um, but what's in behind that? So let's take a, a new car, for example. It's great, you know, for as low as $129 a week, you can have that shiny brand new car. Um, but the problem behind that is that it's 7.99, 8.99% interest rate. The lease term or the loan term could be up to seven or eight years for that. So now two things have happened. You've committed yourself to a large debt and uh, it's affecting your borrowing power. And that is the issue that we're facing more and more today. So there's, there's a high level of consumer debt. There's also a lot of ease in getting items. So, you know, you want those nice yep. appliances, you want to put on the deck, you want to put on the roof, whatever you want to do, it can all be financed over the next five, seven, 10 years. Um, and we've talked about, you know, uh, uh, furnace companies and hot water heater companies and reverse osmosis companies, water softener companies. They're selling you a fifteen or twenty thousand dollar heating heating or HVAC system that you could probably go on buy for six to eight thousand dollars, but they're they're charging you eighteen twenty thousand dollars over seven to ten years, binding you to these contracts because it's like you know it's only um, eighty nine dollars a month, but it's eighty nine dollars for the next ten years. 
Buyer beware, right? I mean, and and I, I I'm taking a look at the clock. We should take a quick break, but I and I don't don't mean to cut you off because I know this is important things for us to to talk about. Um, do you want to come back to that uh, after the break, Faisal? Does that how does that work? Yeah, that sounds great. All right, uh, we're coming up on a break here on Ask the Experts. When we come back, we're going to talk a bit more about consumer debt and also landlords and tenants. Stay with us here on City News Five Seventy. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, The Real Deal, Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker, Faisal Suziwala. Listeners, if you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or through email, faisal at homeshack.com. Uh, Faisal, before the break, we we got rolling and you were talking about consumer debt and, and bringing up that that idea of uh, people want it, they want it now, and they don't want to wait for it. But if and if you can have it now, the problem is, you're going to be paying for it forever. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's where we have to really be thoughtful in our decisions on what we're buying. Do we really need that item right now? Or am I, you know, for that instant gratification today, am I giving up something in the future? So you know, if you, uh, like Warren Buffett says, if you buy things you don't need today, in the future, you may need to sell things that you do need. So it's important to really give that consideration before you buy something. Um, the other issue is there's a lot of um, distractions and noise and influences that are out there that are creating um, more debt for people and, and giving them sort of the idea that there's easy money out there. This online gambling thing, it, it really, really, and again, not judging any anyone or anything, but it just bothers me that it's so easy uh, my son goes to Western University and um, they all got these gift cards for with $50 on them uh, as in part of their welcome package. And it was for online gambling hmm. and, or in sports betting. And I'm thinking, you know, you're giving these kids sort of that entry level entry drug and right. getting addicted to winning. And then they're going to continuously go back and do that. So I'm finding that with homeowners with first-time home buyers that they're just trying to find a way to sort of get some easy money and they're getting caught up in all these fancy ads that we see on television with celebrities and sports stars and whatnot. Right. we see it in playoff games and we see it so there there's so much influence out there that is out there to take your money and these gambling sites and whatnot don't survive because they run out of loss. They run out of profit. Vegas does not lose money. It makes money. So, you know, it's really important to really think about, you know, are you are you spending money on, on you know, there there is no easy money. It's hard work. It's saving. It's budgeting. It's making thoughtful decisions. It's being mindful in, in what you're doing. And um, so that's an issue. And then there's a lot of um, available debt that you can go to, you know, easy money places to get, yeah. you know, cash advances. But the interest rates are so high that it may seem that it's going to sort of get you over the little hurdle right now because you can't make your payments or whatnot, or you, you, you've been off work for a few weeks. You know, I really do recommend that have conversations with, with the people that you owe money to and get additional time and relief as opposed to, going and borrowing money at high, high interest rates and putting yourself further into debt. And we're going to see a lot more of that coming into September when rates are renewing at, 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 at almost double what people paid five years ago and their five-year term is up. So if your rate doubles, that means your, your, your mortgage payment's going to double. Mm -hmm. 
So you want to be a little bit more proactive and sort of think this through. Say, you know, if you're earning X amount of dollars and you don't have an extra $1,500 a month left over, and if your payments are going to go up by $1,500 a month, there's a good chance that you're going to be overextended and looking at easy ways to borrow money at higher interest rates to keep up with the debt load that you have. But we're in this for at least two years, in my opinion. Um, I don't expect that we're going to see you know, a steady decline in, in, in interest rates. Even the uh, U.S. Feds announced uh, today that uh, they're going to pause on this cycle, but that's not indefinite. They're going to go back up. Um, so inflation, you know, is still not where uh, the country needs it to be. Unfortunately, uh, we only have interest rate hikes in our toolbox. Um, and we've talked about this in the past where I, I truly believe they need to look at corporate profits. They need to look at other uh, aspects. They need to look at supply chain um, and try to battle inflation using other tools other than just increasing interest rates. Um, we, we saw what it did. People paused when, yep. it, when the rates didn't go up anymore. They all jumped back in. So it's going to be a vicious cycle. We're going to be on that roller coaster ride until there's a better solution. And I certainly don't know what that is, but there needs to be a different solution to what, what's happening here for inflation. Great, great information and great advice, Faisal. Faisal says there's no easy way to, to get the money that you need. You have to work for it. And if you find yourself coming up uh, against a wall, you have to have a plan. You've got you've to think of those things ahead of time. And those are, those are extremely important things for us to remember as well, too. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, Faisal, we, we've heard a lot of stories quite often in the news where you have tenants who are refusing to leave a home once a landlord has actually sold the property. And what's going on there? And what, what do we need to know about if, if we happen to find ourselves in either end of that, uh, that story? Yeah, no, great question. Um, today, now more than ever, because we have such a crisis, because there isn't a lot of affordable housing out there, and because the rents have almost doubled over the last five years, tenants who have been accustomed to living in a home, um, let me give you an example. A, a typical three-bedroom townhome um, today will rent between $2,800 to $3,000 per month. Okay. Now that same townhome was between fifteen to seventeen hundred dollars a month about five years ago. Now, if a tenant moved in there five years ago, paying fifteen hundred dollars per month uh, with with two percent rent increases on average, their rent is maybe around seventeen or eighteen hundred dollars per month now. Um, so when a landlord says, "I'm selling your property," uh, that tenant may have really good intent to say, "Well, thank you for letting me stay in your home all these years." I'll go and find another place. The challenge is finding another place and trying to find a place that's affordable um, and finding a landlord that's willing to take a family of five with two dogs and two cats and maybe a little bit of a tarnished credit report. So these are some of the issues that landlords are facing on both ends. The landlord that's renting it out says, I don't want a tenant unless they're AAA. The landlord that's selling is, I need you to move because I'm selling your property. Now, landlords need to understand a few things. Number one, if you're selling your property, uh, unless you're moving in or the buyer is moving in or a family member is moving in, you cannot evict your tenant. You okay. must keep that tenant. So that's number one. Number two, you have to provide your tenants proper notice once you've sold your property. Now, 
when you're selling your property to a prospective buyer who wants to move in, even if your tenant has agreed to move out, but they haven't signed anything and they haven't given you a confirmation that they were moving out on this date and they've already found accommodation, you could be faced with a situation where you have promised vacant possession to the buyer and uh, 90 days from now, when the moving truck shows up at that home, that tenant says, I wasn't able to find anything. I'm still here. I'm sorry, but I can't move. And what I've done is I've, I've now reached out to the land, landlord uh, tribunal and I've asked them for sort of a reading on what my situation, what my rights are. And that hearing may not take place for six months. So now everybody's in limbo. The buyer sues the landlord, the owner. Yep. The landlord's trying to recover losses from the tenant, and it just becomes a total mess. So what we want to ensure in these circumstances is, A, if you're going to sell your property, make sure your tenant has 100% found a place or has 100% committed to you that they are moving out. Or simply give your tenants four, six months heads up. Mm -hmm. Within six months, I'm going to be doing this. Why don't you go and take some time and find a place to live? And once you find a place, I'll help you. You, As a landlord, you have to give them their last month's rent back. Plus, you have to give them one additional month's rent in lieu of asking them to leave. So, you know, and we've heard of this term cash for keys. Mm -hmm. So you want to settle. You may want to offer your tenant $5,000 or $7,000 or $10,000 to say, listen, I'll give you this lump sum money. So it'll help you get into your next and might even supplement some of the additional rent you're going to have to pay. So there are always solutions. But the problem is a lot of landlords aren't having these conversations with their, right. with their tenants ahead of time. Um, I still recommend to wait until the tenant has exited the property, has moved to their new home. You then get an opportunity as a landlord to go in there, do some maintenance, do some repairs, pretty it up. And you're going to, you know, landlords are sort of stuck on the idea that I don't want to lose two months rent when mm -hmm. it's vacant. But if you look at uh, two months rent, let's say it was $2,500 a month, you may lose $5,000. But you and you may have to spend another five thousand dollars to do some maintenance and repair. But the the ROI on the return on your investment on the repairs that you're doing, the maintenance you're doing is probably going to be three to five times. Right. more. So there's value in letting it become vacant. Also, there's value in having the peace of mind that your tenant is going to pull a fast one. And, and I and I say that. I say fast one, but I don't mean to be disrespectful towards tenants because they are in a very, very tough position today to be able to go out there and find suitable accommodation for their families at anywhere near the rates that they were accustomed to paying. It's, it, it boils down to communication, right? Communication is key. Uh, we do need to take another break. We'll get an update from the City News 570 News Center. Uh, when we come back, real estate terms you need to be aware of. Stay with us here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, The Real Deal, billion-dollar real estate broker, Faisal Suziwala. If you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or through email, Faisal at homeshack.com. Faisal, before the break, we were talking about concerns when when tenants are refusing to leave after a landlord has, 
has uh, sold the property and and really what you were uh, boiling it down to is that idea of communication and and from the landlord's perspective just knowing before you're jumping into those uh, those situations if if we pull the lens back a little bit and and we take a look at some some other real estate terms and clauses um we hear the terms assessed value, uh, appraised value. You mentioned it earlier in the in the show, uh, even market value. What are these terms, and and who actually determines what these values are? Yeah, that again, great question. So there's a lot of confusion, primarily between assessed value, appraised value, market value. So there's three general valuations. Okay, so assessed value is generally made by your municipality. So, and the assessed value is what your property taxes are based on. Right. So if you pull up um, sort of the your tax bill right now, you'll see that on your on your tax bill it says assessment value, and that assessment value is typically very low. Um, mm -hmm. Good, and I'm not telling the city to increase those because our taxes will go up. Um, but what that means is that they've taken a value based on uh, your neighborhood. And for example, if you buy a home for $800,000 today, chances are that the assessed value is going to be somewhere between 350 to 375 for tax purposes. And I think that goes back to 2016 valuation. So that's that assessment was done. So, and it kind of makes sense. So generally speaking, and not as a rule, you could say that the assessed value is usually um, about two to 2.5% below, uh, two, two to two and a half times below right. um, market value. Okay. So if your home is worth 800,000, your assessed value is going to be about half of that typically. Right. Right. So that's, that's your assessed value. Then what you have is appraised value. An appraised value is an appraisal that a certified person does on behalf of typically the bank to ensure that a purchase or a refinance is valid and that the value of that property is according to market, but also according to replacement costs and income, uh, if, it's a, if it's a rental property. So there's a lot of factors that go into, they look at a whole array of things. And these are certified uh, appraisers that they have a designation. So your realtor is not an appraiser. Right. Okay? The assessor may be an appraiser, but they're not the ones that are working for the bank. So the banks will typically ask for an appraisal. If there is a matrimonial issue, a family lawyer will ask for an, a certified appraisal because they need to determine what the true value of a property is. And it doesn't take a lot of subjectivity into consideration. It's a very objective number that they look at, okay, building costs, square footage, price per square foot, other homes that have sold recently. They're not saying, well, the kitchen was really pretty and the gardens were really pretty, which you and I, if we're buying a home, may have. A subjective value and may add that. And that's where I would say market value comes in. So okay. market value is something that I as a realtor or you as a person that's looking at a home can determine based on what you see the market is doing in a specific time. So we are called on as realtors quite often to give an evaluation or give, I need an appraisal. I'll get calls quite frequently, um, asking for an appraisal. So my response to that is, I'm not an appraiser. Mm -hmm. I'm a realtor. I can give you a market value opinion, okay? 
If you want a certified appraisal that will stand up in court, will stand up in marriage court, will stand up uh, that the banks can rely on to loan you money, I'm not certified to give you that. You need a certified appraiser. The difference is that the cost is really the difference. Okay. Uh, there, there was a recent story in the news where uh, land was being sold. There were about five or six parcels of land being sold. Uh, a realtor was called on to give a value on the property. Okay. The term appraisal wasn't used, but they wanted a value on the property. Right. And the realtor gave the value, charged $350 for this value. It was, um, the realtor's value was about half a million dollars less then what the appraised value came in at, the appraiser, uh, sorry, the uh, courts decided that the realtor is not at fault because the buyer only paid $350 for this um, opinion, right. where appraisal would have been around $2,500. So you got kind of what you paid for. Unfortunately, for the people that were looking for the assessment or the appraisal, they thought they were getting a certified appraisal, which they should not have thought of. So there's a, there's assessed is by the city, appraised is by a certified individual who is an appraiser. Market value is typically your realtor that could give you that. Good information. And and, and every time you, uh, you you tune into this show with Faisal, you're going to learn something new. Uh, if if someone's looking right now, Faisal, at making a purchase and and there's the choices are endless really um if it's a single detached home what are some of the things that buyers should really be considering right now if you're buying a single detached home um you want to make sure you're looking at things like a, the foundation you're doing an inspection on the property you're looking at the age of the furnace the age of the windows you know ever since these amazing shows have been on television you know do it yourselfers and hgtv all of these homes that we walk into look stunning. They look like they're out of a magazine. But what's going on in behind, right? You know, that's it's it's, it's really nice makeup, but, yeah. but 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 is it really that beautiful behind the scenes, right? right. So so that's kind of the thing that we have to be very mindful of is and and you look at you know is there are, are the windows rotting out and they just have a fresh coat of paint on them um has the furnace uh, been there since you know it was an oil furnace or whatever it may be so you want to look at that you want to um check wiring uh you want to check for dampness in basements if there's mold um so there's a lot of things that uh, you you have to look beyond as far as uh, a single family home. Drainage is very important around foundations. Um, just any sort of uh, infestation. Um, and again, when you're buying a single detached home, um, having having somebody come in and doing a proper proper inspection of it is it, it is very important. It, if if we, you know, maybe we pull back a little bit, friend. We're not. It's not really that that uh, you know the detached home that we're taking a look at, um, and instead we're we're focusing more on uh, maybe it's going to be an apartment or it's going to be a, a, a townhome or or something like that, a condo. Do you are you looking for different things at that point? Yeah. So in addition to making sure that the condo or townhome is in good repair, generally speaking, uh, you want to make sure that the health of the condo corporation is healthy. Right. Uh, they have a reserve fund, that they don't have any special assessments coming down the road, that they're not going to be uh, increasing the condo fees significantly beyond what would be normal. Um, and, you know, the caveat I have there is a lot of new 
developments, condominiums, townhomes, whatnot, the condo fee initially may be fairly reasonable um, because it may have been bought down. Some of the budgets may have been sort of subsidized for maintenance and repairs just to sort of make it look attractive and make it look affordable. But you have to look at it and say, okay, are those realistic numbers? So if the condo fee is $200 per month today, uh, we've seen it double after three or four years. So mm -hmm. you kind of scratch your head and say, well, the cost of cutting the grass and the snow removal and the landscaping and, and the common elements could not have doubled over the last two or three years. Why has my condo fee doubled? So you want to see what the track record is of that condo corporation. You want to see what the track record is of the developer or the builder that's selling you the condo. Are people saying, um, my condo fees doubled three years after I moved in. You also want to ensure that that condo is well-maintained, that they haven't deferred maintenance that's going to cause all of a sudden for a bunch of renovations that are required to the siding or to the driveway or to the landscape or other amenities. Um, if it has an elevator, if it has an in-ground pool, if it has any sort of amenities that are attached to it, you have to realize that you are going to become a shareholder in that building. And that means that if there's a major repair, you will pay your share for that. Right. Great, great pieces of information. And and every 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 purchase that that people are making, they're they're different. You have to make sure that you know what uh, what you're looking for. We will take a final break here and ask the experts when we come back. Uh, considering things, if you're looking at purchasing, uh, maybe maybe it's a. a uh, a plot of land. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, we'll see what are the uh, the other kinds of things we need to keep in mind whenever we're making these real estate purchases. You're listening to Ask the Experts here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today, Faisal Suziwala, also known as Canada's top real estate broker. Listeners, if you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly 519-624-5555 or through email. Faisal at homeshack.com. Faisal, before the break, you were outlining some of the things to consider when purchasing a single detached home, as well as uh, looking at if, you're, if people are moving into a condo, for example. If we look at other types of real estate, uh, rural property, for example, with a home on it, uh, what, do we, what do we need to keep our eyes open for there? So rural properties, you really have to watch, um, you know, how old this property is. Um, did it have buried oil tanks uh, because a lot of uh, rural properties may be older they may be old farm homes um, where there was a buried oil tank underground so now you have an environmental issue that you could be dealing with uh, you have to look at wiring knob and tube wiring was prominent in those homes um, you also have to look at wells and septic because when you're not on municipal services um, you know so you have to make sure that the water has been tested and that it is potable. And you also have to ensure that the septic system is functioning properly, was installed properly, the bed, the sand filters working right. The, and you can usually tell if you're walking on these properties and it feels mushy, you know, in mm -hmm. certain areas, you may have a problem with your septic bed. Or if you're flushing and the flow isn't good, there could be a, a breakage or a blockage in that. If you smell sewage, there could be an issue. You have to ensure that the pumps are working properly, uh, ensure that there are alarms on those pumps, because you know if you're away and something happens, it's you're going to have some backup in there. So with rural properties, again, um, 
just like any other property, do your due diligence. But the, the one thing to really watch out for is buried oil tanks, because a lot of the older properties, uh, especially rural properties, would have had oil heating. And, you know, the legislation and the environmental laws were not that strict back then. Um, somebody just decided, well, I'll just convert to propane or natural gas. So we won't worry about that tank that's underground. We'll just sort of put a garden over it. In in a situation, for example, a, a buried oil tank, is the onus on the seller in a case like that, or is it on the on the the buyer or both? They they both need to be aware of what's going on. So this is where the clauses are very important. When you have an offer being submitted on a property or any property, you want to make sure there's a stigma clause in there. And one of the stigma clauses, it may or may not sound great to have, but if you know there are there are people that are superstitious. So you know, has there been any deaths, any murders, any suicides? Um, are there any underground buried oil tanks? Um, is, is there anything that is a hidden defect in this property? So that really will then put the onus on the seller. And as a realtor, when I see that clause, it makes it a lot easier for me to ask the question. So if I'm selling your home, Brock, if I get that clause, it's a lot easier for me to say, hey, Brock, you know, not to be insensitive, but did anybody die in your home, right? So those are the questions that sometimes are a little bit difficult for a realtor to ask. But as a buyer's representative, it's my duty and obligation to ensure that I put all those clauses in there, uh, which include stigmatized properties, infestations, deaths, murders, suicides, buried oil tanks, or any hidden defect. Okay. Now, that really puts a lot of onus on a seller to disclose. Um, we've had situations where, you know, someone signed off and they said, yeah, everything is fine, no issues. The buyer moves in, they've got three inches of water in their basement. They call, and, you know, especially in a small town, you call the local basement repair people or the foundation people, they come in and say, oh, we were here four months ago and quoted, right. but the seller didn't disclose it. So disclosure is extremely important and it's just good to be forthright. Let people know ahead of time and then they can deal with that and make an informed decision. Good advice. Good advice to know for sure. If someone is looking at uh, purchasing uh, vacant land, uh, that might be another another time that uh, they need to be looking at something outside of uh, you know what we've been talking about so far. Where should their lens be if they're looking at at, at making a purchase of of just a, a vacant piece of property? With vacant land, zoning is very important. So you have to look at what what can I build on this vacant land? What is the purpose of my purchase of this vacant land? Am I buying it to build a home? Am I buying it to build a, a cottage? Um, are there services available? Is there water? Is there hydro? Is there sewer? Is there gas? Uh, or will I have to bring in septic? Um, will the municipality support my application? Are there any um, restrictions like Grand River Conservation may have a stream running through there, or there may be wetlands, or there, it may have endangered species on it. So really with vacant land, you have to do additional due diligence to ensure that you're not buying something that A, is undevelopable, or B, that you don't get the building envelope within that lot to, to build what you're desiring to build. Um, and, and again, you want to look at what's adjacent to those properties. Because if you have a use, and especially in rural properties, let's say you've got a, um, uh, a fueling center next to uh, a vacant parcel. Well, that fueling center, if it ever has any leaks, that can seep into your land. Right. And now you've got a, 
environmental issue on your hands. They've got an environmental issue on their hands. And that kind of thing does happen. So it's very important just to, again, know the zoning bylaws, know what's around you, know where the services are, if there are services. Um, so all, and, and, you know, soil conditions to make sure that, you know, when you go four feet into digging into a foundation, you're not going to hit an underground spring. Now you can't build there because you're going to have water in your basement. Again, due diligence and make sure that uh, that you you cast that net wide. You want to make sure that you you're able to look at all of the pieces that might be. Uh, if someone's ready to to take on the responsibility of of purchasing a commercial building or an industrial building, I would think that you know all the things we've talked about beforehand, that and more, you would be concerned with if you're going to be making a purchase like that. Yeah, and and it's interesting, commercial and industrial type of buildings. There's there's a lot of um, nuances there where you have to ensure, again, that the use that you want to have is allowed in that commercial building. For example, um, if you're building, if you've got a plaza across from a school, uh, you can't have a cannabis shop in that, in, in, in that, in that plaza. Um, so there are certain restrictions within zoning that will, or, or there may be um, exclusivity. So there, you know, you're 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 buying um, you're buying a plaza, and there's an exclusivity that there can be only this type of, and we see this a lot in condo plazas, where you know a pharmacy can only one pharmacy can go into this unit. Um, so you're buying this commercial unit within a plaza, and you think you're going to put your pharmacy there, or your variety store there, or your restaurant there, or your pizza stop, shop there, but somebody else has already got exclusivity. So these are all little things you have to look at. Industrial zoning, that allows a lot of different uses. In some industrial zones, you could have daycare. You can have, um, uh, you know, a, a therapy center or a chiropractor or a physiotherapy. So you have to look at the zoning to make sure that if your uh, intended use is allowed in that space. All great, all great information. And and, uh, and as I said, I've said in the past, you know, you do have to you do have to pull that lens back and make sure that uh, that you're looking at all the possibilities and and any of these kinds of purchases they're not a, it's not a a, a quick turnover turnover it's not something you just go out and do one day you've had to put the homework into it you had to have done uh, a lot of the thinking beforehand and and also be ready for the fact that if there are glitches along the way you have to have uh, you have to have a backup plan as well. Um, Faisal, I, I tell you, I want to thank you. You've come on the show again today. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. We always learn something new. We never get through everything we wanted to talk about, but that's that's just an excuse to have you come back again. And uh, I'm hoping you will. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on today, Brock. Thanks again, Faisal. That was Faisal Susie Walla, Canada's top real estate broker, recently published author of The Real Deal, Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker, and luckily for us, someone willing to share his thoughts on the current real estate market. Big thank you to our technical producer, Adam Sanderson, for pushing all the right buttons. And thanks to you listeners for joining us. You've been listening to Ask the Experts here on City News 570.